tonight, Judges chapter 4 tonight, Judges chapter 4, does anyone remember the three judges that we looked at last week? Anyone remember the name of the three judges? Come on, nobody listened or nobody paid attention or did their homework. We had Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. And so today, we are going to add a fourth, Deborah, to the list. So, say it with me. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah. Okay, four names. Y'all be able to have that by now. And next week, we're going to be talking about Deborah again. It's still going to be in that story. So you guys have two weeks to learn four names. That's not that hard. All right, not that hard. Y'all be able to do that. It'll get interesting later, but uh, I'm I'm sure we're going to have some of you going to be able to say all the judges by the end of this. But I don't know. Maybe not if after the first week you still haven't got three down. But we'll we'll see what. Since we've got two more weeks, or another, counting this one, uh, to get the four, I think we'll be okay. But, uh, anyway, uh, in the, uh, we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And remember, at the, after the death of Ehud, the land had rest for 80 years. Now, the land had rest for 80 years, meaning there weren't wars, they weren't in captivity, they had control of things in the land. That does not mean they went 80 years without doing evil. In fact, uh, based on the way this passage here reads, I think it's probably pretty safe to assume that they started doing evil pretty soon after the death of Ehud. As soon as this judge is gone that was kind of keeping them in line, they went right back to their old ways. But this is a reminder, sometimes evil takes a long time before we start paying the consequences of it. And this is something that we have got to get a hold of. And it's really something that should cause us to think and maybe even get a little bit scared when it comes to our country. Because, you know, the decisions we make in our country, like the decisions that have been made just in the last few years, when you just think of the decisions that were made with COVID, okay, look at how much our country is struggling as a result of just the poor uh, policies of Trump and Biden when they uh, governed based on panic and fear and, you know, practice socialist type things, uh, you know, we're, you know, we've got, you know, $5 for a dozen eggs right now. You know, we're still paying, we are still paying a fortune on gas just because it's not over $5 anymore does not mean we're still not paying way too much. But these are uh, very quick results. But folks, the long-term results for what we're doing in our country ought to really terrify us. And when you consider too, uh, you know, uh, you know, historically, when, especially when it comes to moral things, it can usually take a generation before we really start suffering. Think about how much things have changed just since we legalized queer marriage. Think about how much things have changed now. In just a short time later, we literally live in a country where trannies are in high positions of power, where people are debating whether or not men can have babies. That, I mean, it, folks, it was Obama. Obama was originally against gay marriage. And today, uh, I, I just saw a thing, too, where, you know, Andy Stanley, I didn't even really know much about him, but he said some really dumb stuff trying to be, you know, supportive and loving towards the gays. But guess what, the, guess what the queers are still saying? He's still a bigot because he's against gay marriage. And so even though he thinks we ought to let him in the church and stuff, and, you know, and you know, isn't it wonderful that they have faith 
and they still are they're willing to suffer possible rejection when they come into a church. They have that much faith that they're willing to chance, you know, suffering rejection coming into a church. You know, we we could all take a lesson from that. And he's thinking, I'm going to score points with the queers. They all still hate him because he's still against queer marriage. But, you know, these same people, will they say Obama was a bigot back in 2008? You know, probably not. But, you know, think about how much, you know, just in less than 15 years, how much has changed. Really, it's been about 10 years. It was when he was running for re-election that Biden went and announced, you know, before Obama that he was for gay marriage. And then all of a sudden, the whole Democrat Party is just like, yeah. We're all okay with that. And folks, so that was only 10 years ago. And I'm telling you, a generation is going to tell us a lot. And so I think the real major problems that we're going to have are probably going to be another 20 or 30 years. And it's going to be bad. And you know what? It's our kids that are really going to suffer as a result of that. And you know, I mean, I'm afraid our kids are going to see things like we see in the book of Judges in this country because of the direction we're going, the policies we're making. And so because you know, things don't just immediately, immediately happen, we think it's no big deal. But folks, uh, these things are huge, huge deals. And it's, it's not good what's coming. And so um, verse 2 says, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwell in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So at this point in this story, we see Israel now, they've been suffering for 20 years because of the evil that they did after the death of Ehud. But notice too how they called on the Lord, how when they cried to the Lord, God was merciful to them, and this right here, too, this is a reminder that the book of Judges, it's not a detailed history book, but it's really an overview of a very specific period of time showing the great transgressions of Israel. The good times are only footnotes. When they had 80 good years, that's just a footnote. That's just like a couple of verses where it will talk about that. Most of these stories are detailing the battles and all the evil that was done. And so now in verse 4, we see, it says, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time and dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And right here are two verses that will cause many insecure, unbalanced men who like to take the ultimate hardcore extremes on certain passages to just completely have a panic attack and a meltdown and they do not know what to do with this. And listening to fundamental Baptists sometimes preach about Deborah, it's very cringe because, again, they're trying to balance what they see here in this chapter, which is clearly a good woman who is used of God. And they're trying to balance that with their rhetoric that they have used from certain passages in the New Testament about women being silent in the church. And they've taken those things and just gone a little too far. And so it creates problems when they go to judges. And, you know, and it's really a problem, too, if you're not a dispensationalist. Because then you can be like, well, that was, if you're a dispensationalist, well, that was in another dispensation. In the dispensation of the judges, it was okay for women to rule. No, no, it's, it's the, that, that doesn't work. We don't get to use that excuse. 
So, you know, what do we do with this? And, you know, the IFB, fortunately, in the independent fundamental Baptist world, they are correct. And let me just say it. The IFB is correct when it comes to what they teach about male leadership. Okay? And there was a church one time that put it on their sign, something about male leadership, and people threw a fit. Okay? Now, say, well, why do they even have to put that on there? Again, we live in a country where people think men can have babies. And so, you know, if, if people think men can have babies, they're going to think, they're probably going to think it's okay for women to be pastors too. I promise you, if you've gone that far, you'll think it's okay for women to be pastors. And it's just not the case. But, you know, the IFB is probably one of the few, um, you know, Christian movements out there that teaches correctly about male leadership. Or, I mean, what other Christian denominations are out there that don't have women preachers and stuff? I mean, I'm sure there's some out there, but I, I can't think of them off the top of my head. Uh, I I don't know. I, I think we're probably one of the last holdouts in that in that area. And but and so as a result of this, you know, it's the IFB often attracts like your MGTOW type men who in reality have I'm telling you, MGTOWs, I don't want to preach on them tonight, but they're just the most emasculated men on the planet. That that's all there is to it. And they do not know how to function around strong, confident, or intelligent women. And you know what, there's nothing, and obviously I'm not talking about a woman being like muscular and stuff like that, but there's nothing wrong with a woman being strong, confident, and intelligent. It's okay. okay. MGTOWs can't handle that because they are weak, because they are insecure. And so when they see a woman, especially that has security and that has a brain, they don't know what to do. You know, because they understand too, I should be superior in, in you know, these areas, but they know they're not. And so that woman who has strength, intelligence, confidence or whatever, it's just a constant testimony against them and they can't handle it. So they're often very degrading towards women and they often use a lot of crazy over the top rhetoric and stuff. And the MGTOW types too, they're the type of men that usually see women just as objects. They look for women. They're trying to find that woman who has no will no personality, and they're very hostile towards women who have a brain or strength. Again, because she testifies to them of their own weakness. I wish I could say enough, figure, you know, enough bad negative adjectives that I could use about big tau types. But they're literally the worst kind of men. And let me tell you something. We have a generation now that is that type. And they produce the type of generation that we're about to see here in Judges. you got to understand... Um, there's just kind of cycles that, you know, societies go through and people go through. And we are, we're not fully to the low point on this yet. But we're getting close. And I think we'll be able to illustrate that this as we go through this. But these type of, you know, the mega types, they're one step away from the men we're going to see here in Judges. And so, and the step above the MGTOW types they were the men who, they were leaders in their homes, but they were also the type, uh, they had their wives under control, but they failed to love, honor, and cherish. They failed to give honor unto them as unto the weaker vessel. And as a result of that, you know, they created a situation where women were not being taken care of like they needed to be, which forced women to become stronger and to become more independent. 
because their men were not taking care of them. And so understand, if you have a society where you're not taking care of the women like you're supposed to, then they are. They're going to naturally adjust. They are going to become stronger. And you know what? And as men too, if you don't fix yourself, if you be keep coming scummier and scummier and more and more worthless, eventually those women will take over. And I do believe that we, have, we haven't got there yet. I believe our nation is heading for a generation. I think we're getting close to it where women will take over for real. And you might think they've taken over, you know, because we've got a woman vice president and all that. But understand, all the women that are in power right now, for the most part, they were placed there by, you know, guilty white men, you know, who did it for political expediency. Okay, everybody knows Kamala Harris's only two qualifications that she had to be vice president was she was a woman and she was a woman of color. Katanji Brown Jackson, who doesn't know what a woman is for sure because she's not a biologist, the only reason she is on the Supreme Court is because the president only looked for black women. And so we've got women all over the place in leadership right now because they are just being placed there, installed there. Most women who are getting to these high positions today are not getting there because of merit, because they've earned it, because they've outdone the men. No, they got there because of political correctness. That's why they're there. Everyone knows it. And you say, you know what, that's a terrible thing. You know, you know, what's, you know what's shameful towards women? You know what's shameful towards minority is when you do stuff like that and then try to you know, tell everybody, no, they earned it, you're bad if you say anything against it. It's like affirmative action. Okay? No black person should be proud of a job they got through affirmative action. You, know, you should go earn it. You should, you, know, you should compete with the white people and beat them. That's what should happen. But when you're just handed these things because you know, of bad laws that were passed, you know, because of these dumb rules and things, then you should be ashamed of yourself. And you should feel guilty that uh, you took the job of someone who actually should have earned, you know, who earned it. And you got it for political correctness sake. And so people like Kamala Harris, you know, she should be absolutely ashamed uh, of herself. And uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, every woman that's in the Supreme Court are absolutely pointless and we're there because they need to look good. Even the one that Trump picked, you know, Amy Comey Barrett, same thing. Trump wanted to look like he was with the times. And so he picked a woman who, let's just face it, she wasn't that great. There was nothing that, you know, astounding about her and, you know, nothing that really stood out, but she was a woman. And so, you know, Trump, he's had all these people telling him he's terrible towards women. Anyhow, he has been, okay? Trump is that generation that created a need for women to strengthen themselves because he is one who saw women as objects. Okay? Guys like Trump create the generation that we're in right now. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, but I think everybody understands the reality of that. But understand this next generation, okay? this MGTOW philosophy, this Andrew Tate type philosophy, it is going to produce... Men like we're going to see here in Judges chapter 4. We are on, we are going the wrong direction. Just because Andrew Tate gets one or two facts right while getting about 45 facts a thousand percent wrong does not make him a good guy. All right. Because he says one sentence out of a couple of hundred that, you know, 
sounds good and other people aren't saying it, the, the guy's completely a completely worthless human being. And so, uh, let's look, look at Exodus chapter 15 real quick. Because one of the mistakes that uh, insecure, unbalanced men make when they look at the story of Deborah and they see Deborah the prophetess. Okay, And I did that title too, just to trigger the type of men that I'm talking about. Because they see it, Deborah the prophetess, and they freak out. They don't know what to do with it. But you know, De- you know, Deborah was not the only prophetess. And a prophetess is not a bad thing. Miriam was a prophetess. Exodus 15, 20. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. So she was a prophetess. And, you know, and uh, 2 Kings 22, 14. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asahiah went unto Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the t- son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college and they communed with her. Uh, in Luke 2.36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. So notice, these were all, they were, they were women, they were prophetess. They were women who God gave a message to and they proclaimed the word of the Lord. And, and what's easy to do and what people will do is I'll try to t- convince you, no, prophetesses are bad. Because look what it says in, in Revelation 2.20. It says, Notwithstanding, I have few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed on idols. The problem with Jezebel, this woman Jezebel, she called herself a prophetess. Okay, Now, just because you call yourself a prophetess does not mean you are one. Now, listen, today we've got a lot of women out there who are declaring themselves to be prophetesses. There's women out there declaring themselves to be apostles. There's women out there declaring themselves to be men. It doesn't make it so. Okay? Just because someone says they're a prophet or somebody says they're a prophetess does not make it so. Are they actually getting a word from the Lord? Are they actually receiving revelation from God? And you know what? What man is out there? Are, are, are you, anybody in here got any extra revelation from God other than what we have in His Word? I haven't. Okay, so I'm not going to call myself a prophet. And we, and we shouldn't have a problem with who God uses to speak prophecies. And God used women sometimes in the Bible to do that. It says in Numbers eleven twenty-eight, 28, uh, And Joshua, the son of Nun, a servant of Moses, one of the young men, answered and said, My Lord, Moses forbid them. And this is when men were prophesying. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord was put his spirit upon them. When Joshua saw these other men speaking prophecies from God, he kind of got jealous for Moses' sake. But Moses, he's like, hey, you know what? Moses wasn't an insecure man. You know what? That, I wish all men would speak you know, the prophecies of God. This is a good thing. I wish God's Spirit would be on all men. And you shouldn't be so unsecure that if God uses a woman in some area where he's not using you, where he's like, I've got to find a way to criticize her. No, just thank God he's using somebody. Acts 2.17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So, And we see in Acts 21.9, it says, And the same man, talking about Philip, had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And I already showed you, and I'm not going to go into it, in Act, uh, when we were going through Acts 21, that this did not mean they were soul winners. That is not what that meant. No, they prophesied. They got a word from the Lord. This was 
said in the context too, it was told when all these people were prophesying and telling Paul by the Holy Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. I'm sure they were probably soul winners too. But if, if you are a woman and you're a soul winner, that does not make you a prophet, prophetess. And it does not mean you are prophesying. That is, that is not what that means. And so, uh, you know, we don't need to change the Bible again to fix, you know, to help it fit our over-the-top preaching in certain areas. And so people, too, the other mistake is they often ignore the context of the command for women to keep silence in the church. And they make it about sound waves coming from their mouth and ignore the real problem. And that is the usurping of the authority of the man. That's what the problem is. That's why they were told to keep silence. Because, it's, again, it's not about sound waves coming out of the mouth. We've talked about this before. If it's about sound waves coming out of the mouth, then why does the Bible say, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord? Why does the Bible talk about praising God in the congregation, all these things? Of course, women are allowed to have sound waves come from their mouth whenever they're in church and in the house of God. But should they go taking over the service? Should they go, you know, ordering men around? Should they go, you know, usurping authority? No, obviously that is a great sin. And that's why they are told to keep silence, but it doesn't mean they're never allowed to say anything. It doesn't mean that they can't get a word from the Lord. It doesn't mean they don't have the ability to understand some things and be able to be a blessing and to be a help to people. It doesn't mean they can't get some things right. The problem is usurping authority. Now, one thing we are not going to see Deborah doing in the Bible is usurping anyone's authority. You said, well, she's going to be judging. But watch. Yes, she is going to be judging, but we don't see her usurping anyone's authority in the Bible. And that's when it's wrong to do that. It's wrong when women usurp their authority. And understand too, okay, men, the only women that you have authority over is your wife and daughters. When someone else's wife, when someone else's daughter is doing something that you do not approve of, they are not usurping anyone's authority unless they are going against their father or their husband. And so you do. You have a lot of men who don't understand authority, don't understand the Bible. They'll read the verse about women you know, being in you know, silence in the church, and all of a sudden now they think they're allowed to tell women what to do. No, no, you're not. You, know, you, you can't tell them. And, you know, fortunately for you, they're not allowed to tell you what to do either. You know, so uh, you don't have to worry about that. But you will not see an example of Deborah usurping the authority of a man in this passage. Also, too, we're going to see in this chapter, you know, that she is a wife. My question is, where is her husband? You know, we see his name mentioned, but, you know, we don't see him doing anything, but we know she's a wife. In the next chapter, too, we'll see even that she was a mom. So, you know what? Um, she's doing all the things women are supposed to do, but she also is somebody very specially used of God as a prophetess. And so we need to understand, though, it is God's will for men to be in leadership. It is God's will for men to be the head of the home. It is God's will for the man to be the provider and the protector. But let me ask you this. If somebody breaks in my home tonight, okay, who should go confront the intruder, me or my wife? Don't be afraid to answer. Me, right? The man. I should do it. Okay, but let me ask you this. What if somebody does break into my home tonight and I get scared and I hide under the bed? And then all of a sudden, 
we hear the kids screaming in the other room because they're being attacked. And I'm hiding under the bed. If my wife goes and gets the gun and goes and blows that guy's head off, is she the bad guy or am I the bad guy? Did you realize she just did my job? But is she the bad guy or am I the bad guy? I'm the bad guy. By all means, I am the bad guy. And understand, the, one of the reasons we have so many women today doing things that, you know, that should be for the man. It's because the men aren't doing it. It's because the men are too busy being worthless. It's because the women are, the men are too busy, busy being pathetic. You know, be careful being down on women that are out there in the workforce and, and, you know, working jobs and things that you have to compete with in your jobs. You know what? Be down on their husbands that are making them do all that stuff. Why isn't their husband providing for them? Why is their husband taking care of things? What are they supposed to do? I get it. The husband's supposed to be the provider. But what are they supposed to do when they're married to Mr. Worthless playing video games all day? Just let their kids starve to death? Just let the bills not get paid? See, this is why we have so many strong women today. This is why we have so many very independent women today. Because men, somewhere, they quit taking care of them. They quit doing their role, providing for them, so they would be able to stay home, take care of the house, take care of the kids. And, and we've just done nothing. And we force the woman to do both parts. And then you've got MGTOW-type guys going around bashing women that are out there just getting the job done for their husbands. Don't bash the woman. Bash the guy. Don't bash my wife if she goes and takes care of the intruder. Thank God she went and got it done. But you know who you should be bashing all day? Me. For being a coward and hiding under the bed. And we've got men today that are just being worthless losers, not providing for their families, not taking care of things. And then women are stepping up and they're not going to let their kids starve. They're not going to let you know things fall apart in the home. And then you got guys out there criticizing them and acting like they're some kind of Jezebel. Because they're out in the workforce or something like that. You know, you sh- shut up. Be mean to their husband. Let's go be mean to the guys. Hey, it's, it's, if it's about leadership, you ought to be able to get this. So, uh, so um, the reason too, again, is uh, I lost my spot here. But so again, a lot of men, they often when they see women in the workforce and thing, they think, well, the women are getting in the way. You know, they're taking away jobs from men. They're the ones that should have it. But here's the thing. If women are getting in your way, why are you letting them? Why are they able to? Why is it when you're competing with a woman, you're getting beat so bad? You know, maybe it's because you're worthless. And so when we see this story, understand that this rise of Deborah to leadership, I do not believe is is in any way a testimony against Deborah, but I believe it's a testimony against Israel. This is a shameful time in their history And God is going to do a great work in Israel, but he's going to do it through a woman. And not just Deborah, but through Jael, which again is a testimony against Israel. Okay, now again, the feminist crowd, they often get excited when they see this chapter and the next one. But I'm going to show you too that, you know, when we actually look at what the Bible says about this story, there's a lot of things in here that would actually trigger the feminists if they paid attention to the details. I would, you know, I wouldn't watch it. But I can only imagine if they made a movie about Deborah and JL, what it would look like. I know exactly what it would look like. First off, you know, Deborah is going to be just this strong, independent woman who's probably not going to have any kids, you know, who's out there fighting the battles, you know, and is like this warrior, just like throwing men around and stuff like that. You know, and JL too, when she gets in the fight with Sisera, I'm sure it was going to be an epic battle where she's, you know, overpowers him and, you know, drives a spike through his head. 
we're going to see that's not exactly how it went down. But uh, we know how Hollywood portray it. But notice what it says in verse 6. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariot and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And right here, this is not Deborah necessarily giving orders, but this is her uh, being a prophetess and showing what they were supposed to do. Showing what God's going to do. Because who was it that was going to deliver their hand, Sisera into their hand? It was God. So she's speaking on behalf of God, telling Barak, who's leading the armies, what he's supposed to do. And notice his response, because this kind of blows my mind. And I don't want to be too mean to Barak. I'm not sure that he's a judge. I'm not putting him on the list of judges. The book of Judges does not call him a judge. But to me, it's possible that he was a judge uh, just based on what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. He's meant, Barak is mentioned. It says in Hebrews 11:32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah. Right there, all the, the guys he's named with we're all judges. Then it goes on to mention David also and Samuel and of the prophets. And so Barak got mentioned in the Hall of Fate. So he's a good guy. But this story to me doesn't make him look that good too. Because after she tells him to you know, go to battle and that the Lord's going to deliver him to his hand, Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. So imagine too, you know, the guy breaks into our house and my wife said, like, go out there and see what's going on. I'm like, if you go with me. <laughs> no, I should be saying, you stay behind. You know, I, I'm going to go take care of business. That's what the man should say. Okay? That's the way things are supposed to be. Okay? But if I do, you know, if, I, if, if I'm like, no, I'm not going to let you go with me, that makes me look pretty bad. Now, again, I don't want to be mean to Barak. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. He could have been saying this too, not because he wanted Deborah fighting next to him so he could hide behind her, but because too, she did have the words of God and so she could kind of instruct them on what to do because, you know, battle plan and strategy, it's all very important, you know, when you're fighting a battle. It can make the difference in whether you win or lose or how many lives uh, on your side are lost. And so he could have just wanted her there uh, for that counsel and guidance, knowing this woman speaks for God. This woman hears from the Lord. And so he may have done this, said this, because he just wanted to be sure what they were doing was of God. But at the same time, and in my opinion, I don't think I can you know, completely prove this from the Bible, but I think because of him saying this right here, it was then determined that, you know what? All right, Barak, God's still going to deliver Sisera into your hand. Because Israel cried unto the Lord, and God is a merciful God, but you're not going to get the honor. You know what? I'm going to use a woman to do it. Again, because this is a testimony against Israel. And so it says in verse 9, And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak, to Kedesh. And so, 
I do believe that what we're seeing here is similar to what we're going to see later with Gideon. When we get to the story of Gideon, Gideon, he gets a word from an angel telling him to go, go to battle. But then he wants proof that the Lord's with him. And so he does the thing with the fleece two different times. God keeps telling him what to do, but he keeps wanting a sign. He keeps wanting more. And so as a result, finally Gideon goes. And then that's when God decides to cut his army down from, you know, 30 some thousand, I believe it was to 300. Why, why did God do that? Because God wanted him to have faith at some point. And Gideon kept asking for signs. We'll talk about that pretty soon. But I think Barak here, when he didn't just go and take the word of the prophetess Deborah and then just go and do what she said, and he demanded that he ha- that she come with him, God, you know, God basically is saying here through Deborah, okay, fine, but this battle is not going to be for your honor. You're not going to get the credit for this, Barak. A woman's going to get the credit for this. She's going to be the one that gets the honor, and we're going to sing a song about her in the next chapter. In chapter 5, they're going to be doing a song about it. So in verse 10, And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh and went up uh, with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent under the plain of Zenam, which is by Kedesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor, And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Harosheth of the Gentiles into the river Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And right here is probably what Barak was wanting Deborah for. Because again, timing, strategy, it's important. And so here they were, and Deborah's like, this is it. This is the day. Go get them. And you know, that, that would help, you know, knowing that, all right, we're doing things right. The timing's right. God's with us. I think that's why he wanted her. But, it, but again, Barak's not going to get the honor. And so it says, And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after a host unto Herosheth of the Gentiles. And all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit, Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And so, uh, verse 18, two, we're going to see, because uh, again, if they made a movie about this, Jael's going to be another woman. She's probably going to uh, have ninja skills and uh, you know be this great fighter. And there's going to be an epic battle between uh, her and uh, Cicero. Is going to probably come in demanding food, trying to te- treat her like you know like a domestic you know type thing. And then she's going to not mess around with them, and she's going to throw down with them and win. Okay, that's the way it would play out if Hollywood did a movie about this. But let's see, let's check on her fighting style and see how she was able to overcome Sisera. And, so, and Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. If they made the movie, when he starts asking her for a drink and food and stuff like that, you're like, you know, what do I look like, a housewife? Get it yourself. 
No. No, he asked for water. She gave him milk. She gave him a drink. She covered him. She's taking care of him. She's looking after his needs. Again, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say, No. So again, taking care of him, doing domestic type work to get him to relax, to get him to fall asleep. You know why? Because she's a woman. She's weaker than the man. So you know what that means? Women, and you know what? Women, you're allowed to do this. You know what you're supposed to do? You fight dirty. You know why? Because you're at a disadvantage. Okay? That's why we believe in guns. That's the equalizer. Okay? You know, you, uh, you know, when a guy breaks in, by all means, you know, blow his brains all over the ceiling. You can paint over the blood. Uh, it, it's fine. And, you know, don't listen to this weird uh, you know, interpretation I've heard too that you're not allowed to you know, shoot people if they break in in daylight. Listen, daytime, I don't care what time of the day it is, somebody breaks in your house, ladies, if you have a gun, blow his brains out, ask questions later. That's, that's the way it should go down. And if you don't have a gun, uh, find the most painful object that you have in your house and go crazy with it. And so, verse 21, Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it into the ground, for he was flat, fast asleep and weary, so he died. And so what did she do? She didn't do any cool ninja moves or anything like that. You know what she did? She snuck in after he was asleep because he was tired, he was weary. She took care of him so he could relax. She stuck up and took a spike and a hammer and then right through his temple. I don't know about you, I think this is a cool story. I think it's pretty pretty awesome. Um, Ron Garris, anybody? He has a famous sermon he preached ever called "Head Bust and Runs in My Family," and he tells he always would tell this story about jail. And I will never try to repeat or, or his message because nobody can preach it like he can, and especially the next chapter. I can't read the next chapter without thinking of Ron Garris, and he had a way to take that chapter and make it hilarious. And it's, it's, it, was, it was a good message. But anyway, uh, so Sisera is defeated. And it was. This was a shame to be defeated by a woman. Even in that time. Look what it says in Judges chapter 9 and verse 52. I love this story too. This is a great story in the Bible. It says, And Abimelech came into the tower and fought against it and went hard under the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. And so, I mean, imagine a piece of millstone, you know, getting hit in the head and breaking your skull. That would be so painful. But what does this guy do? As he's laying there, probably barely conscious, about to die. What are his last words? Then he called hastily unto the young man, his arm bearer, hurry up. He said, said unto him, draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. And his, and his young man thrust him through and he died. His dying wish. Don't let people say a woman killed me. Please don't let that happen. You kill me. You slay me. Like, because it's a shameful thing to get beat by a woman. It shouldn't happen. Okay? It shouldn't happen. And, you know, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. You know, what the woman did, hitting him like that. And, uh, but, you know, here's the best part of that story. You want to know the best part of the story of Abimelech who didn't want to be said that he was killed by a woman? Well, let's fast forward hundreds of years later in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 21. 
It says, who, who, this was after um, the uh, death of Uriah. And it says, who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh unto the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. This is when David wanted them to do this on purpose to get Uriah killed. But the thing is, everyone knew when you're fighting a battle that you don't go running up against the wall like that. Because if you do that, even a woman's going to be able to kill you at that point. Remember Abimelech, what happened to him? So it became a lesson. It became a thing. It became a thing that was known in battle strategy that don't get too close to the wall. Somebody's going to take you out. Even a woman could take you out in that situation. And so he's, he, he knows that when he first finds out about them losing this battle, David's going to be mad because you're not supposed to use that strategy in battle. So he tells him to make sure you say, Uriah is dead. Then David will leave you alone because that's what David wanted. But again, the best part of that story is that years later, everybody's still talking about Abimelech getting killed by a woman. So it didn't work because yeah, it it's a shameful thing. It's a shameful thing to get beat by a woman. And so in verse 22, and behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, come and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead and the nail was in his temples. And I just would have loved to have seen everybody's face when they walked in the tent and saw that, you know, they see Jael, who was probably, you know, a small petite lady, you know, that was not a warrior. Sisera, it was probably a mighty strong warrior. And so when it comes to a battle between the two of them, she shouldn't have a chance. But what do they do? They see his head spiked to the ground. And I think that's a great, I just think it's a great story. And so I am all for women who will do what it takes to get the job done and protect their family. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse, six, uh, verse 16. I want to show you something here too. Listen, you, you know, you don't want to get between a mom and her children. Okay? They, you know, they can be scary. They can be fierce. Anybody ever see that video too where that guy went and carjacked some lady at a gas station while her kid was in there and she like dove on top of the car? And then, you know, and like the guy ended up stopping after that and ran off. But I mean, you know, women, you know, they naturally will do what they've got to do to protect their children, protect their family. And they'll get vicious if they have, have to. And I'm fine with that. I think that's good. And so, it's, uh, but it, I, I love this story here. Oh, and I'm in First Samuel. In Second Samuel, chapter 20, and start reading in verse 16. It says, there, Then cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, say, I pray you unto Joab, Come near hither, that I may speak with thee. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And she answered, I am he. Then she said unto him, Hear the word of thine handmaid. And he answered, I do hear. Then she spake, saying, They were wont to speak in old times, saying, They shall surely ask counsel at Abel. And so they ended the matter. I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so, but a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, hath lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. Deliver him only. I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. So this woman, she 
She's like, hey, you're not going to, first off, she's trying to be sweet here. It's like, you know, you're not going to want to hurt a mother. You know, I'm, I'm a mother. Surely, even though you're a warrior, you probably love your mom. And she does not want Joab coming in there because of this one bad guy and going and defeating them. She understands this guy you know, and his army, they could defeat us. And so she says, if all you wants that guy, we don't want to let you in here, but we'll make sure you get him. We're going to throw his head to you over the wall. This is kind of, you know, it's kind of bloody. But you know what? She wanted to protect her family. It says, then the woman went unto all the people in her wisdom and they cut off the head of Sheba the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab. And he blew a trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem unto the king. That's another cool story, if you ask me. What, what's she doing? She's making sure her family is protected. And you know, she, you know she, was a, she was a woman. I doubt she had the strength, but you know what? She had influence. You know why? Because she was wise. And she went and told the people in the town, we better get that guy. I'm not dying for him. You don't want to die for him. He's not with us. Take him, hold him down, get an axe, chop his head off. And this is just my opinion. I got no Bible for this. I think she went out there and I think she personally threw his head over the wall to Joab. <laughs> Here you go, Joab. I'm the one you've been talking to. And so I can't imagine a lady going and, you know, getting the town to cut a guy's head off and her throwing it over the wall. You know, I can't imagine so much a lady doing something like that, but I can see a mom trying to protect her family doing something like that. They'll do what it takes to get the job done. And so I think that's a good thing. And so in verse 23 of Judges 4, it says, So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. And so right here is just another of many reminders of the mercy of God. And we're going to continue to see this pattern of disobeying God, getting it, them getting in trouble, but then them crying out to him when things go bad, and then God sending a deliverer who would come and rescue them as long as they were looking for God. God is a merciful God. God showed Israel mercy over and over and over again. And let me tell you, people, sometimes they will use this too to show too that, you know, in the end, God's still going to save Israel. But folks, if you read the parables, what was the final straw after he sent the prophets and all those things? It was when he sent his son. When I send the heir, surely they will listen when I send the heir, when I send my son. But what did it say in that parable? When they saw the, the son, they're like, this is the heir. Let's kill him and season his inheritance. And that is when, too, God said, the kingdom's going to be taken from you. That was the last straw. We see the entire Old Testament is Israel just, you know, messing up, God being merciful. Messing up, God being merciful. The final straw, though, was the rejection of the son. And so that, that was the final straw, and I don't, want to, I don't want to get into that. But we do have a merciful God. But we'll also, too... This here, this here is a reminder. What we're seeing here, God is dealing with Israel, you know, or God's helping Israel, but He is also doing it in a way where they can't get lifted up with pride. It is a shameful thing to have women ruling over you. And understand too, again, I don't, you know, Deborah was not oppressing these people. People are coming to her. She's not usurping anyone's authority. Okay, Barak is coming to her. 
What should I do? People are coming to her for judgment. What are we supposed to do? People are asking advice of her. She is not the bad guy in this situation. The men were the shame in this situation. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, As for my people, and this is a bad thing because they were in a bad state. He says, As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. When God said to Israel that women rule over them, He wasn't pronouncing uh, or saying that the women are wicked. You know what He's saying? You're wicked. And because of your wickedness, here you are with women ruling over you. And let me tell you something. We're almost there. I'm telling you, we are almost there in our country. We're, we're getting there. A lot of it's fake right now. But pretty soon it's going to be real. Okay, We're about to see... What I believe it was Gerald Ford said. Remember when Gerald Ford, when the little girl asked there'd ever be a woman president? And he, what did he say? You know, he said the way it will probably happen is one will be a vice president and then that president will probably die or something and then that's how we'll have the first woman president. Because he understood, you know, society especially then was far from being ready to legitimately electing a woman to be over the country. And, and we're still not there yet. I still think they would have to cheat to get one. I think they had to do that to get one as the vice president. But understand, I think pretty soon a, a woman will be able to win in a fair election in this country. I, I really do. Because we're, that's where we're heading. And let me tell you, you want to know why we have Hillary Clintons? We have Hillary Clintons because we have Bill Clintons. That's what we need to understand. Ungodly men who see women as objects. Was that not Bill Clinton? That was Bill Clinton. They fail to take care of them. And let me tell you, having your way with a bunch of women does not prove your strength. It proves your weakness. It proves your lack of self-control. It proves you have no control over your body, over your desires, over your lusts. You are going and shirking your responsibilities as a man, as a husband, as a father, so you can fulfill some lust. You do it because you are weak. That is why you do it. Listen, this is one of the reasons, too, when it comes to boyfriend, girlfriend, when it comes to engagements, I don't think we ought to make them, you know, put them in terrible temptation and make them wait real long. But you know what? Those times are good times of testing to make sure they can control themselves. And a lot of guys think, well, you know, we're going to get married, so you know, who cares if we do something? You know what? It does matter because you're not married. And even if you're going to get married, you know what? Both of you need this time so you can prove to yourself and you can prove to her that you know how to control your vessel. And guys who can't do it, they, guys like Bill Clinton, you know, their wives are going to need to be strong. Their wives are going to need to be able to take care of themselves. Because their, the husbands aren't doing it. And so understand, as men become weaker, as, as men fail on their responsibilities, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see women make some adjustments. They're going to rise up. And as these guys get lamer and lamer and more and more pathetic, playing their video games, watching their anime, doing all that junk that these guys are doing these days, you know what? The women are going to be getting stronger. They're going to be getting more educated. They're going to be the ones taking over these jobs. They're going to be the ones taking over these positions of power. They're going to be the ones making decisions. And you know what? They are. Pretty soon they're going to be ruling over us. And, and, it's not, and, and when that day comes, 
when our country is being run by Hillary Clinton's, just understand it will not be a testimony so much against them. It's a testimony against the men. We are the ones that are responsible. We are the ones who are supposed to be the leader. And if women are taking over, it's because we are allowing it. We are stronger than they are. At least we should be. And so, you know what? I'm really kind of tired of these MGTOW, Andrew Tate type fans, you know, just running their mouth about women when this kind of stuff's happening. You know what? Run your mouth about the men. And I'm telling you, the most hardcore chest-thumping types out there that take the most extreme hardcore stands against the Hillary Clintons and against the feminism and all that kind of stuff are typically the type of men like we see in the book of Judges. They're, just, they're, they're not taking care of their women, and so the women are having to rise up and strengthen themselves. And so pretty soon, it is. I, I think we're going to be in a full-blown Judges 4 type situation unless there's unless there's some kind of revival unless there's some kind of revival i don't believe that women want to be in leadership but you know what women have survival instincts i don't i don't i think women want to submit to their husbands they want to let their husbands provide but they also don't want their kids to starve they also want bills to get paid they also want to be taken care of and a lot of times the guys just aren't getting it done because they're worthless. And so women sometimes they end up, you know, maybe maybe taking things too far. But, you know, the, these guys out there that are just giving up too and are demanding a government that just forces women to stay with their husband. You know, if, if you need the government to keep your wife in line, you're weak, lame, pathetic, and you don't deserve a wife. I think our laws are bad. But you know what? I think I can still have a good marriage even in a country with bad laws. And you know what? You can if you will actually take care of your wife, if you will actually be a good husband. A good biblical husband, the woman's not going to want to leave him. And so um, you know, we, we could say a lot about that, but we're going to shut it down there. But hopefully this was a help to you. And next week uh, we will look at another chapter where it talks about Deborah and Jael. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for this great story we have in the Bible. And Lord, I pray help us to learn from this. Help us to uh, remember as men, we are supposed to be the leaders, the protectors, the providers. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, in this day and age of these MGTOW-type uh, men, that we will uh, take things back in the right direction uh, where we will have actual, legitimate, strong men. Uh, there are strong leaders that will take care of the women, that will give honor under the, our, the wife is under the weaker vessel and that we will be uh, what you've called us to be as men. I pray you won't let us get to this point like we see in the book of Judges. I pray that we'll uh, see things turn around in the right direction. In, in your name we pray. Amen.